You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for April 2010. Today's episode is titled, Secrets to Getting the Ear of God. There was a pastor who wanted to build a new church building. Fundraising efforts proved inadequate. So one Sunday, the pastor announced that he was going to pull out what he called the big guns, which meant that he was going to pray. For this pastor, prayer was the option of last resort. Sadly, this is true for most of us. We tend to treat prayer as a fallback position. We resort to prayer only after everything else we try fails. Integrate prayer into the lifestyle of your organization. Be quick to seek the Lord. Prayer is an essential tool to living in a state of peace so that you can make wise decisions and enjoy success in God's universe. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Secrets to Getting the Ear of God. Our topic is Secrets to Getting the Ear of God. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to study and learn together. We pray that you would bless our conversation, bless our study. Father, give us ears to hear you and give us eyes to see and a heart to obey. So we commit this session to you and ask that you would bring transforming power into our hearts tonight to line us up with your will and your ways. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. For most of us, prayer is an option of last resort. President Obama is a great example of this. Since he was inaugurated, he he has shunned Christianity and said little about prayer, despite the fact that he professed to be a Christian during the campaign. However, the president gave the following statement on January 12, 2010, which uh, related to the disaster in Haiti. He said this on, his, on the White House website. My thoughts and prayers go out to those who have been affected by the earthquake. We are closely monitoring the situation and stand ready to assist the people of Haiti. So it's interesting that here he mentions prayers. It's one of the few times that I've seen him mention that. I tried to do a, a search to find out if he had talked about prayer uh, in other occasions, and I was not able to find anything else. So this is a president that appears to only resort to prayer or mentioning prayer when he has a uh, situation that he can't seem to manage himself. Now, like President Obama, most of us treat prayer as a fallback position. This means that we're effectively Christian naturalists who don't pray unless we need help that requires divine intervention. Now, Jesus was not a Christian naturalist. Now, let me explain to you what a naturalist is. A naturalist is a person that believes everything happens in the natural realm, that nothing happens, there's no, no spiritual realm or no involvement on the part of spiritual reality and natural reality. So atheists are naturalists, and deists tend to be naturalists because they see God as disconnected from the, from the physical universe. But please note, notice that Jesus was not a Christian naturalist. He, he saw God as very involved in the universe. He was a person who lived in a state of continuous communication with the Father. I just noticed a couple of texts here. Uh, this is John 5, verse 19. Jesus gave this answer to the Pharisees. He said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. But whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So you can see, here is Jesus basically so closely connected to the Father 
that he his life is totally directed by the Father. He only does what he sees the Father doing. So the Father gives him revelation to see what he's doing, and Jesus lines up with that. Later on in John, Jesus says this, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So you see, even the very words that he spoke were directed by the Father. So this is a, a, a man who lived in such close communion with the Father that everything he did, everything he said, was directly connected and related to the will of the Father. So how do we live in a state of continuous communication with the Father like Jesus did? Well, let me just offer to you tonight seven keys, seven secrets of prayer and how to get the ear of God. Well, secret number one, prayer is not a religious activity. Prayer is communication with your Creator. Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 through 6, is a great picture of this for us. Notice what, uh, what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Be careful not to do acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. And then I'm going to skip down to the underlying portion. And he's talking about prayer here. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now remember, hypocrites are actors. They're pretenders. They're people that are not really genuine but they're trying to give you the impression that they are. So do not be like the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. You notice that these people are religious people. Uh, They show up in the religious places. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. See, it's all show. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, And pray to your Father who is in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So you see, Jesus is pointing out here that prayer is not a public spectacle. It's not a religious act. It is not religious activity. Prayer is an intimate communication with our Creator. And he says here, I think this is metaphorical when he talks about going into the room and closing the door. And the reason I think this is metaphorical is because we have other scripture that we're going to look at a little later that shows you the power of group prayer. So I don't think he's telling you to always pray in private, although there's nothing wrong with praying praying in private. But this text, the purpose of this text, is not to limit your prayer to private settings. The purpose is to say your prayer is not to be a spectacle It is not religious activity. So that's secret number one. Understand it's not religious activity. Rather, it is communication with your Creator. Secret number two. Prayer is not about giving the omniscient God of the universe information. Sometimes we think that uh, God doesn't realize what's going on on planet Earth, and we have to tell Him. Sometimes we we think He doesn't understand how bad situations are, so we have to let Him know. Sometimes we think He doesn't really get it that we we are in trouble and we need his help. No, he's not surprised by anything. He never learns anything from our prayers. Notice what he says here going on in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we have here a relationship here with a Father who knows everything. And so you're saying, well, gee, if he knows everything and he is, he, he is connected with us and he, he doesn't need any information for us, why are we praying? Well, I think John Calvin put it very well many years ago when he said, prayer is not for God, it is for us. Now, that's a profound statement. Prayer is not about informing God. It's not in some way helping God. It's not in some way, you know, partnering with God. It is strictly for us to begin to partner with God. It's not for God for, to partner with us. So prayer is not about giving the omniscient God of the universe information. Secret number two. Secret number three. Prayer is not about persuading God to grant our wishes. You know, for most of us, we, we view God like the genie in the lamp. We want to rub the lamp by doing some kind of religious activity, and then out pops God to grant us our three wishes. Now, then we would all love that, and we all want God is to do whatever it is that, that we our pleasure might be. Uh, for, for us, it might be something like um, we may have a money issue, or we may have a sickness or an illness, or we may have a, a job issue, or we may have a an issue with our, our spouse or our children, all kinds of different issues, and we want God to take care of these problems for us. But God is not into executing our will. That's not what he's about. And prayer is not about persuading God to grant us our wishes. Now, I want you to just notice Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's agonizing about his destiny. And he does make a request it says, going on a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You see, he, he didn't have a problem making the request, but he made it very clear. He was not asking the, the father to bless his agenda or bless his will. He was looking for the father to execute whatever the Father wanted to do, and he was going to come under that will. And so prayer is not about persuading God to grant our wishes. It's not about talking God into doing what we want him to do. That's secret number three. Secret number four gives us more specifically what prayer is. Prayer is about the alignment of our will with the will of God. The alignment of our will with the will of God. Now notice this text in Matthew 6. We're continuing to read on here. Now this is this is what we normally call the Lord's Prayer. Now I think that's probably a mis, uh, mischaracterization of this prayer. In the Luke version of this text, it indicates that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so this is more likely a model prayer. So it's probably... It's probably more correctly characterized as the disciples' prayer. So just listen to how he taught his disciples to pray. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is a fundamentally a prayer of alignment. The rule and reign of God that's in heaven is intended to come upon the earth 
and we are the agents of God to facilitate that, and that should be a primary focus of our prayer. In fact, you could argue that that should be the number one focus, is that we're focused every time we pray on bringing the kingdom of God on this earth, and we are vessels of it and resources and tools that God wants to use. So prayer is about alignment of our will, setting aside our agenda, what we want, our vision, our pictures, and accepting what God wants to do and being a tool to facilitate that. Notice what First John says about this. To pray in alignment with God means to pray according to his will. So listen to this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that wonderful? We can get the ear of God. All we have to do is discern his will and pray in accordance with his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. In other words, if we could just get God to hear us, it's a done deal. The key to getting him to hear us is we need to pray according to his will. God is not into advancing any other agenda except his will. So as we think about that reality, let's, let's just give you some examples of how you might do this. So how do we pray according to the will of God? Well, number one, pray for assignments, not jobs. Uh, at, at my church, we have marketplace prayer on, on Friday mornings, and we've been doing this for a number of years. And, and over this period of time, we've really, um, really seen things develop and grow as we've, as we've committed to praying biblical prayers. Uh, we've gotten a lot of different uh, prayer requests over the years. And as we've looked at these prayer requests, we realize that many times uh, the people asking for the various things were asking very selfishly. And one of the common prayer requests we get would be, I need a job particularly in today's time. That's a huge one. I need a job. Well, we realized that praying for jobs was probably not really the, the focal point of the will of God. And the, where we got there with, with that is we realized that every person is created with destiny and purpose. Those of you who have been through the SLA seminar, you, I know you understand and appreciate that teaching. And a core text in that teaching is Ephesians 2.10, where it says, We are God's workmanship. That is, God made us, he created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So something that's God's workmanship is something that God has specifically formed in a certain way with certain gifts and talents and opportunities and a certain purpose. And so when you begin to see that specific, personal, individual intention and purpose of God in someone's life, then you realize, you know, the key here is not finding a job. It's finding your assignment. It's finding the call of God in your life. It's finding the thing that God has created you to do. And that is the will of God. So what we committed to doing in Marketplace Prayer is we wouldn't pray for jobs. We prayed for assignments. And we've been faithful to do that. And it's so interesting to see how God responds to that and how people begin to find their assignments. 
Another thing that uh, that we're very diligent about in marketplace prayer is we don't pray for money. Now, that may sound a little strange because there's a lot of people that seem to have money problems right now. In fact, I got a, an email this afternoon in which uh, the email indicated that this particular couple only had $31 in their bank account, and the husband was unemployed, and uh, they didn't know what they were going to do. Well, you know, it would be very tempting to, you know, to kind of panic and, and say, oh, man, Lord, you realize what's going on here like we got to tell him? Lord, you don't understand. Here are some of your servants in trouble. God knows everything. We never communicate information to God. You know, God is everything under control. Our job is always to line up with him. So Matthew 6.33 expresses this very well. The context of this is, again, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, you know, the pagans get all bent out of shape about provision. They get all bent out of shape because they don't think they have enough. But let me explain to you the deal. Seek first the kingdom of God. And do it according to God's rules, which, are, which means righteousness refers to his rules, his ways. And Jesus says that all of these things, this food, clothing, shelter, all these things that you fret about, they'll be taken care of. You won't have to fret about them. You have to worry about them. Because I, I as, the, as, as the father, am going to take care of my children. And as long as they're lining up with me, there's provision to do my will. So recognizing that there's always provision to do the will of God, what we pray for is alignment with our assignments rather than money. Because if we line up with our assignments, there will be provision to do those assignments. Another thing that we get a lot of prayer requests for in marketplace prayer is relief from circumstances. People get into bad ways and bad scenarios and bad situations. We had a person come up to me a few weeks ago, and he starts laying out his scenario, his job's not going well, his wife is getting very upset with him and threatening to leave, his children rebellion, you know, things are just falling apart, finances are not in good shape, it, all the circumstances don't look good at all. So he wanted me to pray for him that God would take care of all these circumstances. And, and I said, you know, what I really want to pray for you is a more biblical prayer than that. And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, here's the biblical prayer I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will not relieve you from this circumstance, any of these circumstances, until God has done everything he wants to do through those circumstances in your life. Now, that may sound harsh to you, but that is love. Love is helping you move forward and do what God has created you to do. So what we pray for is we pray for growth through circumstances. We don't pray for relief from circumstances. Notice Romans 8.28, we all know this. And we know that for in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Every one of us has been called according to his purpose. And our job is to recognize he is always working good, even in the most difficult and challenging of situations. And I know sometimes that can be very annoying because people can get in a lot of pain. When you get into fear and you get into unbelief, you know, you get into worry and doubt, uh, then these, these kinds of texts don't comfort you very much. And that's because of the state that we're in. We're in a state of unbelief. So I encourage you, if you are struggling with this, press into the Lord and call upon his goodness and ask him, Lord, I want to learn everything you want to teach me in the circumstances I'm in. I don't want to miss a single lesson. Don't let me out of this 
until I have learned everything you want to teach me. Become pliable, become humble, become teachable. Connect to the body of Christ. Let them minister to you and help you discern what God is saying through these circumstances. Another way to pray according to the will of God is pray for sanctification. Sanctification is a theological term which means growth in Christ. You know, when you become a Christian, you became a new creation. And in God's universe, living things grow. That's just a reality. Living things grow. So if you don't grow, then maybe you're not alive. So it's important that we be engaged in growing in Christ. Now, I love this prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, where Paul is praying for the Christians in Philippi. This is what he says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what a, what a lofty prayer, what a magnificent prayer. And it's so interesting that as Paul is, is talking about these wonderful people, these wonderful Christians in Philippi, and that he's got a lot of things to say to the very first thing he says, says to them is, I pray for your growth in Christ. I pray for you you to, to move forward and be sanctified so that you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And that's what brings praise and glory to God. He could have talked to them about a lot of things. They had a lot of issues, a lot of circumstances and, and financial issues and job issues like everybody else. But Paul's first and foremost consideration is always and was always the growth and maturity of people in Christ. And so I try to make it a point when when I'm ministering to somebody, we have a ministry time at our church every Sunday, and many times I have a chance to pray for people, and they usually come up to talk about some circumstance. And I, I'm always faithful to pray for that, but I my focus, the emphasis of my prayer is always their sanctification. The growth and maturity in Christ is the most critical thing. Circumstances are divinely ordained to challenge us to grow up in Christ. So if we don't grow up, God is just those circumstances just become wasted in our life. And most likely, we'll wind up with just another set of circumstances at another time to try to teach us the same lessons. Well, it's a couple more ways to pray according to the will of God. Pray for your disciples to mature. This particular text in Colossians 4 is a really amazing text. Epaphras, in my opinion, was probably the spiritual father of the church at Colossae. Now, the inference is there in chapter 1. And Epaphras was probably discipled by Paul in Ephesus when Paul conducted a two-year training program a few years before. And that two-year program was so powerful that the text in Acts 19 says that after those 12 men had been discipled by Paul every day for two years in understanding the kingdom of God, they were so infected with Christ that they went out and spread the gospel throughout all of Asia. Up until that point in time, Paul had been forbidden to go into Asia because it appears that the Holy Spirit's plan was that Asia would be discipled by Paul's disciples. And so Epaphras apparently discipled the church here in Colossae. 
So at this point in, in Paul's epistle to the Colossi, Paul is writing as the spiritual grandfather to his grandchildren, and his, he is in Roman prison, and Epaphras is with him. And best I could tell, the distance between Rome and Colossae was 12 to 1,500 miles by, by land with a short journey by sea. So it was a long way. And Epaphras is nowhere close. It's not like he's around the block or down the street. He is a long way away. But look what Paul says about Epaphras, the spiritual father of these Colossians. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, that's just amazing there. Here's a man thousands of miles, at least hundreds, if not thousands of miles away, that's wrestling in prayer for his disciples, praying for their maturity, praying for their growth in Christ. Oh, man, what a picture that is. You know, up until recently, I don't know that I had really appreciated the power of wrestling for somebody, uh, their sanctification of somebody. And over the last few months, the Lord has put someone in my life that that is a very, very gifted young man. And I have tried to spend some time investing in this young man. But my efforts have not been that fruitful. But and it's been everything within me is want to just say, well, forget it. I'm not going to waste my time with you. I've got a lot of other people that are interested in what I have to offer. So I'd rather go to them. But for some reason, the Lord will not let me let go of this man. And so I have literally wrestled in prayer for this man, praying for his sanctification. Because right now, he's got character issues that are significantly impairing his ability to really walk out the reality of his faith. And I think the Holy Spirit was so gracious to, to give me a picture of what this has looked like. So I had a chance to really experience, you know, wrestling in prayer for someone. And it makes me appreciate what Epaphras was doing. Hundreds of miles away from his disciples, he's wrestling, praying for their growth and maturity in Christ. Things that we generally don't do. Well, finally, how can we pray in accordance to the will of God? One other way to do it is pray with the right motive. Pray with the right motive. Motives count. You see, man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart. Notice this text in James chapter 4. James writes, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now stop and think about that. Look at your prayers. How often have you prayed for your pleasures? for your own comfort, for your own convenience, for things that you want, things that you may be lusting after. Now, we've all done it. You know, we've all tried to, you know, use, use God uh, as that slot machine in the sky. We just put, keep putting the coins in, doing religious stuff, thinking we put enough coins in, eventually we're going to hit the jackpot. You know, God's really going to do something great that we're, it's going to really make our life easy, it's going to make our life pleasant, we're going to win the lottery, or we're going to have an uncle leave us a bunch of money, 
or something incredible is going to happen. But it's all about us and our, and our pleasures. By the way, this word pleasure typically in, in the Greek text of the New Testament is the word that we get hedonism from. And sometimes it's the word we get pornography from. So, I mean, these are this is not good. Praying for my pleasures is not the game. It's not what God's interested in. He wants us to ask. He tells us to ask for all kinds of prayers. Whatever it is you want to pray, pray for it, but check your heart. Check your motive. Be Just be sure in your own heart that you're asking for the right reason, and the only right reason to pray anything is to line up with the will of God. This is why Calvin said prayers for us. He understood that it's an exercise in alignment with God, which makes it a critical exercise for us. It's a way that we get discernment and direction from God because we get lined up with him and his will. Well, secret number five, prayer is both an individual and a community experience. Now, we live in a culture that is very, very focused on the individual. We're very focused on being our own person, doing our own thing. This email I got this afternoon from this couple that's uh, pretty much, you know, run, run to the end of the rope uh, is very typical. My question to them is, why are you waiting till you get to this place to let, it, to let people know that you need help? Why, why do you have to go to the end of yourself? Well, it is pride. It is individualism. It's the Lone Ranger spirit of I could do it myself. We have treated individualism as a virtue. Individualism is not a virtue. We have been made to live in a community. In Genesis chapter 2, the very first time that in the creation account, God records that something is not good, is that man was alone. Everything else that God had talked about in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, up to that point, it had been that, that the creation was good. Everything about the creation was good. The one thing that was not good was that man was alone. And God went through all the animals, and none of the animals were suitable. So if you're a pet lover and you get try to get your companionship and fellowship and with, with pets, uh, you need to rethink that. Because God didn't make animals to be our companions. He made human beings to be our companions. That's why, first and foremost, we have marriages. The husband and wife are supposed to be the greatest companions. But we also have friendships, and we have relatives, and we have neighbors, and we have coworkers and colleagues, and we have shepherds that oversee us, all kinds of human relationships that are designed by God to help us live our lives well. Well, prayer is both an individual and a community experience. And just notice a few texts here that stress this. Matthew 6, continuing on in in the disciples' prayer, he starts out the disciples' prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. Notice that he's teaching his disciples to pray. He doesn't say, now you say, my Father. He says, our Father. He's, He's expecting them to pray together to acknowledge that they're connected together in union through Christ and they're praying to the Father together. Notice when the church was formed and 
we have the early Christians beginning to meet, the very first things they start doing as they meet together from house to house is it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They prayed together. They were a community praying together. When the uh, apostles were persecuted and the religious leaders allowed them to go after a reprimand, it says when they heard this, the apostles raised their voices together in prayer to God. You see, this was a community prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This, was, this is how they viewed God together. Later on, when Peter was in prison and the church is, is praying for Peter, they've gathered at the house of Mary, the mother of John, and they're, they're there praying. And Peter has been released. And, of course, this whole episode, he, he didn't realize that it was happening. He thought it was a dream. And so finally he's out in the, the street. And he kind of comes to out of what may be a little bit of a daze. And he realized, hey, this is for real. And so he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where the church is meeting. And they've gathered to pray for him. Because they believed in a community prayer experience. And then later on in Acts 20, when when Paul is um, going to Jerusalem, And he needed to expedite his journey, but he wanted to see the elders at Ephesus where he had spent two years sowing into the the people there. He had many relationships. That's where he had his discipleship class that wound up evangelizing Asia. By the way, just a side point, it's a great picture of how discipleship flows into evangelism. It's at the opposite of the way we try to do it. We try to do evangelism without discipleship. Paul didn't do that. He did discipleship and let the disciples then be the evangelists. That's probably the best way to do it right there. But anyway, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to connect with these Ephesian elders. So he stops at a little town called Miletus, and he calls for him to come down to meet him. And so they come down there, and they spend some time together talking, and he charges them to be good shepherds, warns them against the wolves. And then as he is getting ready to leave, he says, he said, let's pray. So he knelt down with all of them, and they prayed together. And then James 5.14 gives us the famous text that I'm sure you're familiar with, where uh, James says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, you notice that when you're sick, you call the elders, not an elder. You call the elders, and they pray over you. And so you have a community experience again where these men are coming to pray over this sick person. So you can see we have abundant testimony in Scripture that, that prayer is to be a community experience. Don't try to make it an isolated experience where you hole up in a closet someplace or you do it privately and are not willing to share. I encourage you, if you are not in some kind of community prayer activity, get connected. Get connected. My own experience, I have come to appreciate marketplace prayer so incredibly much that I'm willing to get up early in the morning to do it. And I hate getting up early in the morning. But it is important to me, important to me to be in a community environment as we pray. And we certainly do it in a corporate setting on 
in our Sunday services, but it's so precious with these men on Friday morning at 6.30 in the morning when I could barely get my eyes open to be seeking the Lord in prayer. That's become a precious time to me. I understand the power of community prayer. And I encourage you, find a community and pray with that community. Secret number six, prayer is hindered by our disobedience. And I've emphasized here missing the mark. Missing the mark is the, the, the definition of sin. Sin is an English archery term, and it means missing the mark. So when we have sin in our life, disobedience of any sort, then this will hinder our prayer. Now let me just give you some examples of this. Unrighteous living. This is kind of a broad category. Notice 1 Peter 3:12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you want God to hear you, to be attentive to what you're saying, you need to live righteously. You need to ask the Lord to show you any unrighteousness in your life, and you need to be very vigilant about ridding that. Now, we will never fully do it. Nobody is perfect. We all have our issues. But we need to be vigilant every day about trying to put to death, crucify the flesh, put to death sinful patterns, break bad habits, build good habits, continually grow in Christ. That's what he's looking for. That's a righteous person who's growing in Christ, dealing with his sin, accountable to others. He's transparent. And so others are able to call him to accountability and, and call him up to, to a higher level of his walk with God. And so when you see that going on, that person is going to have the ear of God. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective and I want you to notice that. There are many people out there that I've run into that do think that the vessel in prayer doesn't matter. And I beg to disagree with you. I think James 5 tells me the vessel matters. If somebody's going to pray for me, my preference is that it's a righteous man. Now, there are a lot of people that, that might say they want to pray for me for whatever reason, and I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, thankful for that. But I'm not interested in engaging in any real serious prayer time where somebody's praying over me unless they are righteous people, people walking with God, people growing in Christ. I'm particularly sensitive about people laying hands on me because laying hands is, a, is an act of impartation. I want righteousness imparted. I want godliness imparted. So it's important that righteous people are praying over us. Look for that. Your prayer team, if you have a prayer team at church, you need to be, be looking at the people and being sure they're walking with God and they're growing in Christ. You want righteous people praying for the people in your body. Another example of, of disobedience that hinders our prayer is rejection of revelation. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says this, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Well, that's an amazing thing. The law represents God's revelation. It's, you know, we have general revelation through creation. We have special revelation through the Word of God. We have specific revelation from the Holy Spirit. 
And so if you reject, if you turn a deaf ear on any revelation from God, you can, you can, you can bet that that's going to become an impediment. It's an obstacle now for the purposes of God in your life. So whatever revelation you have, ask the Lord to give you grace to walk in it, to line up with it, to obey it. That facilitates now the flow and favor of conversation with God. And for those of us that are married, another great hindrance to prayer is how we treat our wives. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker vessel and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, he's talking about here being very humble and gracious and willing to suffer for your wives. Die to self, love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. Give yourselves for your wives. When we live that kind of life with our wives, we dwell with them as we should and honor them as God's gift to us. Treat them with respect as people that are co-heirs with us of eternal life. Hear them, listen to them, respond to them, encourage them, partner with them. When we are doing those kinds of things, we open up the ears of God. And when we're not, then we hinder our prayers by our own actions. And finally, secret number seven. Prayer is a lifestyle of communion with God. Prayer is more about sanctification than our perceived personal needs. Remember, sanctification is maturing in Christ and fulfilling our destiny. What I see so often with prayer requests, and here's a little form here that's very typical of what you see in in churches. They may be in the foyer, in the church bulletins, or maybe on a website or whatever, people requesting prayer. And almost always what happens is people are asking for perceived personal needs. I need a job. We need money. We need pro- we need to resolve our marriage issues. We need to resolve our, our issue with our kids. You know, we, you know, I, I need I need healing. I'm, I'm sick. My aunt's sick. My uncle's sick. Whatever. All those things. And yes, those things happen, and we need to pray for them. But keep in mind, it is so much more than that. In fact, you know, we have a prayer line at our church. It's so interesting. Almost all every time we get a prayer request, it's always about somebody that's sick. I'm waiting for the day when somebody says, okay, we need to start praying for sanctification. And we start really praying for the people of God to grow up and mature in Christ. That's what we need to be doing. Now, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through all of these texts here. But I'm just going to focus in uh, on this first one here, Colossians 1, 9 through 10. It says, we have not stopped praying for you. This is, again, a Paul praying for his his, uh, spiritual grandchildren. And asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, this was the number one priority with Paul. Grow up, mature, you know, become effective. Bear fruit in everything that you do, in whatever God has called you to do, and that comes from growing in Christ. So sanctification was a huge theme in his prayers. And you can see this in some of the other ones too. Um, the next one in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, it says this, devote yourself to prayer. Now think about that. If you're devoted to something, you are focused on that thing. You do it. 
There's nothing that stops you from doing it. You are stay the course. You will continually do it over and over again, no matter what the resistance is. You are devoted to doing it. Well, that's how we need to feel toward prayer. Be devoted to prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's continuous communion with God. So let me summarize now. Number one, secret number one is prayer is not a religious activity. Prayer is communication with your creator. Secret number two, prayer is not about giving the omniscient God of the universe information. He already knows everything. He doesn't need us to tell him anything. Secret number three, prayer is not about persuading God to grant our wishes. It's not about manipulating God or talking God into things. Secret number four, prayer is about the alignment of our will with the will of God. That is really the key. Prayer is an exercise of alignment with God. Secret number five, prayer is an individual and community experience. Don't limit yourself to just private prayer. Connect with a community of believers. Be prayerful with them. Seek the Lord together in prayer. Align your, your community needs to be aligned with, prayer, with God through prayer just like you do individual. Secret number six, prayer is hindered by our disobedience. Sin in our life blocks our communication. It blocks our, our ability to really, for God to hear us and for us to, for God to be responsive to us. And finally, secret number seven, prayer is a lifestyle of communion with God. We are to be continually praying and seeking the will of God every day in every situation, moment by moment. That's the way Jesus lived. That's why he only did what he saw the Father doing. That's why he only said what he heard the Father saying. That's the kind of prayer life we need to have, continuous communion with God. May the Lord give us grace to do that. Father, thank you so much for these precious people, for their hunger and thirst for you. Father, grant them grace. Grant them much grace to walk out the reality of what it is to be praying people praying in accordance with your will, praying in community, praying to be your people on this earth to advance your kingdom. Give us grace to do it well. We commit ourselves to you as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.